This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 366. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. When you do what you love, like running, you want to do it for life. Well, Inside Tracker can help through their blood and DNA testing. You can get a clear picture of what's going on inside you and also science backed recommendations for improving your diet and lifestyle and tracking your progress every day toward a healthier and longer life. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. That's insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. This podcast is brought to you by AG1 by Athletic Greens. It's the ultimate daily all-in-one health drink with 75 proven vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And right now, Athletic Greens is offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Simply visit athleticgreens.com MTA, get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with Harvey Lewis, winner of this year's Badwater 135 and Biggs Backyard Ultra, where he ran 354 miles in three and a half days. You'll hear the mindset that enables you to dig deep and keep yourself going. And don't forget, inside the Academy, we have a whole course on mindset, as well as so many other great resources for our members. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So Angie, between now and the last time we recorded, there has been a new world record set in the half marathon. That's right. Latessin Bet Gede, um, age 23 of Ethiopia, ran a new half marathon world record at the Valencia Half Marathon, and she bettered the previous world record by 70 seconds. Her time is one hour, two minutes, and 52 seconds. And amazingly enough, this is her first half marathon, and she also holds the current world records in the 5K, 10K, and 15K. So this lady is cleaning up. And I mean, she's only 23. So wow. it's you know really amazing what she's accomplished. It'd be interesting to see what she can do with the marathon distance. Yeah, I heard some speculation that she might run a marathon at some point in the near future. And you got some exciting news, Trevor, about an upcoming race that you are now signed up for. Yeah, thanks to my friends Jen and Jamin over at Mountains and Marathons. They got me a spot into the 2022 Marathon du Mont Blanc, which is on June 26th. And this is a hard marathon to get into, but uh, they happen to have some spots and were kind enough to give me an entry. So I'll be running a marathon in the French Alps at the end of June. To continue your Alp marathon quest, right? That's right. <laughs> continue my alpineering <laughs> we might actually be going over there for a while um, if things work out next summer, taking the whole family over to Europe, doing some other races, seeing some sights. If anyone listening to this podcast is going to be at the Marathon du Mont Blanc, or you know of any other great mountain marathons in July or early August in Europe that you want to tell us about, we're looking for input. Send us an email to trevor at marathontrainingacademy.com. Well, we had a fun conversation with Harvey. He's such a positive guy. And I think you're going to find this conversation inspiring. Even if you never plan to run an ultra or to run as many miles as he does, just the fact that people can do that, it just really reframes what's possible. So we're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, first, let's give some shout outs to folks in the community doing awesome stuff. 
Yeah, we'd like to say congratulations to Academy member Kathleen. She ran what's called the I-35 Challenge. And so she completed the Kansas City Marathon on a Saturday and the Des Moines Marathon on a Sunday. All right, back-to-back races. That's right. Not easy to do. (laughs) No. We'd also like to say congratulations to Anna, who's a coaching client of MTA coach Antonio. She ran her first marathon at the Lake Tahoe Marathon, and she did it 30 minutes faster than her original goal. Wow, but that was beautiful. Lake Tahoe Marathon. Congrats, Anna. This note comes from Madison. She says, almost one year ago exactly, a year after my sister's death, I found myself in a negative and self-sabotaging headspace. I'd been slowly spiraling to a dark place and I couldn't see an exit for myself, so to speak. A good friend of mine suggested I try running, to which I laughed and said I only ran when being chased. But I gave it a go. The first day I couldn't run a single mile, but I kept at it and a few months in I had a complete breakthrough mentally while on a run. I was finally able to grieve. One year later I've run 540 miles, participated in several of the MTA challenges, and run my very first organized race. Running has taught me to love each moment, to love people, and to love nature. Happiness is an evening run at dusk with the sun setting and a nice breeze, and a song reminding you of how truly spectacular the world around you really is. Wow, thank you for sharing that story with us. It's interesting that she said that she kept going uh, at running for a few months and then had a complete breakthrough mentally. So it took a couple months, and uh, that should be instructive, right, for people that if it's uncomfortable and all you can think about is how much it sucks at first, just keep going. You'll get used to it, and then you'll never know just what breakthrough you might have. That's right. Yeah, the transformative power of running. You never know how just being consistent and putting the miles is going to help you move forward in life. This note comes from Peter in Denver. He says, hello, Trevor and Angie. Last weekend, I completed my first marathon, the Colfax Marathon in Denver, Colorado. I came across the finish line at four hours, 12 minutes and 15 seconds and super happy about that. I randomly stumbled across your podcast and it's been a great resource while training over the last few months. I wasn't sure if I would continue running marathons after this one, but now I know I 100% will. The feeling of accomplishment and pride is truly an amazing feeling. Coming down the final stretch, I felt a wave of emotion and thought, I'm about to finish a marathon. Again, I really appreciate the podcast and I hope it will inspire others to run a marathon and change their life. And he (laughs) says, thank you, um, Peter from Denver. All right. Happy feelings all around. That's right. Love it. And this final email comes from Aliska from Lincoln, Nebraska. She says, hi, MTA podcast. I wanted to share the story of my first half marathon this week and how y'all helped me through. I was supposed to run the Good Life Half Sea here in Lincoln, Nebraska on Sunday, but only three and a half miles into my race, race officials had to cancel due to lightning. I was pretty disappointed I didn't get to finish. Afterwards, we were all transferred to the virtual marathon. So I planned my route through town and set the day for a few days later on Thursday. Little did I know that my awesome husband, Jeremiah, had sent out a call to all my family and friends to cheer me on through the race. Many showed up with signs and cowbells and others sent encouraging text messages. I was able to cross the streamer finish line in two hours and 38 minutes. After battling rheumatoid arthritis since I was seven years old, I've always struggled to get a handhold on fitness, always fearing a flare-up. But this past year, I really wanted to prove to myself that I could do hard things. And that little seven-year-old girl who had to relinquish much of her physical childhood was my why throughout much of my training. But after weeks of long runs, I found myself thinking less and less about myself and more about my husband. 
He supported this crazy idea I had to start running and then to sign up for a half marathon. When I was struggling with the last few miles, I always found myself thinking about how proud he will be of me, and that kept me going. So while that little seven-year-old me was the why that got me started, my husband is the why that helped me finish. I know this was super long, but when you share these success stories on your podcast, it always gives me chills. Love your work. Thank you for all the great advice and entertainment. And that comes from Aliska. She says she's 30 years old from Nebraska. Congratulations, Aliska, on finishing your first half marathon. And thank you for sharing your journey with us. I'm sure at seven years old, you never thought that you'd be running uh, that far. One interesting aspect of Harvey's story is this is something that we didn't even know prior to getting on the call with him, is that he was kind of a overweight kid. He compared himself to Chunk from the Goonies. If you guys don't know who that is, just Google it. I did ask him if he can do the truffle shuffle but uh, that didn't make it into the podcast. So. <laughs> anyway, then he talks about how he's run a sub three-hour marathon. And of course, he's he's won ultra marathons like the Badwater 135 he won this year. But as we're talking to him, it, the conversation progressed a while. Then we heard that it took him years to break five hours in the marathon. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing the power of sticking with something. Yeah. I think it's a great example of, you know, he never knew where his running was going to take him, but he was persistent. Now, all these years later, he has some really amazing running accomplishments under his belt. And it all started when he ran a marathon as a teenager. Harvey Lewis lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's raced the Marathon de Sable, as well as the Badwater Ultra Marathon, which he's done 10 times. Most recently, he was the last man standing at Biggs Backyard Ultra. Angie, what can you tell us about Biggs Backyard? Well, it's a very interesting race put on by Lazarus Lake. Many people have heard of the Barkley Marathon. So with Big's Backyard, you have one hour to complete what they call a yard, and a yard is 4.1667 miles. And then they repeat that sequence until everyone but one person quits or fails to finish or start a lap. So it's a very unique event, and you'll hear him kind of dig into some of the aspects of it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our conversation with Harvey Lewis right now. We're on the podcast now with Harvey Lewis, joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio. Harvey, how are you doing today? Uh, fantastic. Great to be with you both. Thanks, Angie and Trevor. Thanks for being here. You were telling us when we were off mic that you were just finished eating. So are you still like recovering from your last big race? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best things is like I have the opportunity to eat as much as I want to. <laughs> I weighed myself this morning. I was kind of surprised I was still below my normal weight because I've been eating like two dinners a night for sure. <laughs> so I'm thankful for that. I'm like, all right, great. I can have more, maybe three meals tonight. <laughs> Some ice cream uh, to boot. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started in uh, ultra running? 
Yeah, so I, I was really blessed to have a family friend, Audrey Schroeder, who uh, she had seen that I'd ran the marathon and she thought, oh, well, I know about this race, a 24-hour fans race in uh, the Twin Cities. And she thought, well, I'm going to take him out to see this race. And this was when I was a teenager. And uh, I thought, man, it, this was like the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And it just seemed a little masochistic, but somewhere in there, it, it planted a seed in my mind that, wow, this is some spectacular event and later in life when I was looking for an adventure uh some challenge and uh something to fit the budget that race came to mind and so in college I jumped into that fans 24-hour race this was back in 1996 when ultra running was even more of a fringe uh sport and uh so it was just a really interesting like uh, subculture that I was introduced to and I really enjoyed the camaraderie and the element of pushing your mind and body and spirit so you're saying that you did your first marathon when you were still a teenager is am I getting that right Yes. Yeah, actually, uh, I ran track and, and I wasn't very good in it, but I had like an idea like to run the Cleveland Marathon. And uh, my mom was very supportive. So she took me down there to get signed up. And I remember she was working that day. So I took the uh, light rail downtown and I lived in the suburb at the time. So it was a big ordeal. And uh, it was quite an experience. I remember going on the train and the guys were like telling me, so you're doing what? You, you never ran this? And they're saying, oh, you got to put Band-Aids on your chest. And I thought, like, Band-Aids on your chest? Well, you guys like messing with me here? <laughs> like, <laughs> so that was before the days of like squirrel nut butter. Literally, people put Band-Aids on their chest like to keep yourself from bleeding. So, yeah, I, I got a, a really interesting introduction to the marathon. It was really tough, but also it was just a special moment in life that kind of like forged uh, a whole passion for this as well as like appreciation that you could do things in every category with enough vigor and determination. Yeah, so I'm just kind of sensing that from a young age, you were not afraid to do hard things. Yeah, I, usually it was like if it involved food, that would be the best thing in the world. Like I was pretty much like chunking goonies. Um, but uh, I kind of went through this transformation and uh, wow. you know, usually it was involving food or uh, I was stubborn. When I got something in my mind, I just would be fixated on it. And it was hard to like tell me elsewise. So what do you do for a day job? I'm a teacher now. Cool. It's hard to believe, like going back in time. <laughs> I, I really struggled in school myself, but doing the marathon as a teenager, it really opened up my eyes. And it's kind of cool because if you go like to LA, they have an entire program with the LA marathon. It gets teenagers involved. And a lot of times there's a lot of speculation on whether or not it's appropriate for kids to run you know, further distances. You know, I'm not advocating that people get out there and run a hundred miles a week and like if a kid really wants to do something and explore it, you know, I definitely think it can be positive for them. And doing that marathon for me really helped me because I went from like a D student to like a B plus student. Hmm. And that happened like overnight by doing wow. that marathon. And it was crazy. It was like a transformation. So I went from being a kid that had low confidence in myself for academics to being a kid that was really interested in academics and also started to understand that like if I applied myself, even though I struggled and typically I had to apply myself like three or four times longer than the typical kid to get the same content. If I was determined I did that, I could do really well. 
And so like that was kind of a transformative moment in my life was winning the marathon. It sounds like it kind of unlocked a growth mindset for you in a way. I didn't know what the heck that was back then, but yes, I did. <laughs> right. What kind of reaction do you get from the students and also from your colleagues there at the school <laughs> when they find out that you go and run like 300 miles for fun? It's quite amazing. Like, honestly, today, my friends, Mr. Harrison, he uh, came to me and he brought like a newspaper clipping from the Inquirer today and he shared that with me. So, and I hadn't seen it yet. So I was like very thankful. And we had a nice conversation. And then, honestly, the last conversation I had leaving out of school was a younger kid in the dance department came over. He said, Hey, Mr. Lewis, I didn't get a chance to congratulate you yet. Oh, so, cool. I mean, it's quite amazing. I have some really amazing people in our, our circle at the School for Performing Arts. It's a really special school. It's a, it's a K-12 through public arts school. Mm. And, but I, I teach the arts of uh, government and financial literacy. Wow. <laughs> nice. Right. So, do you still run commute to work? I know I read somewhere that you have like a 5K one-way commute. Yes. Yeah. I actually really get a lot from that. So I, I run every day uh, back and forth to work. I, I started this back in 2013. So I'm going on, uh, I guess, my ninth year of doing this. I'm almost 99 plus percent of the time I'm running. Uh, once in a blue moon, I might use some other form of human transport, like walking or cycling or, or kayaking. I've even swam the work a couple of times. <laughs> We have the Ohio River. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, but wow. but uh, typically I run back and forth to work. And I've been doing some sort of run commute, not every single day, but like going back to my early career, I used to sell cars back in uh, the last century. And <laughs> I used to joke around my, my colleagues. I was the only car salesperson in America that ran back and forth to work every day and sold, sold cars. But uh, <laughs> I had like catering job in Minnesota and a manufacturing job back in the 90s where I would like run commute. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I have a vehicle, but for me, it's like, it's a really great way to stay consistent. So that's like 30 miles a week at the very minimum, if I'm not adding on extra distance going and coming, which I, I do as well. Uh, so it just becomes automatic and it's like a foundation. Hmm. And so I'm always just thinking about like, how can I maximize my time? But also it's like, just at the end of the day, I may have a stressful day and running home, it just gives me opportunity to like reset before I go into my other mode of life. If there's something that happened during the day, I can just like take a, a, a step away from it and not let it really impact me. Like I can like let it go. All, all of us who run know the power that running brings for our therapy. Uh, but there's a real power to that running back and forth to work. Well, I know that, you know, a lot of people are probably curious about how you train because you do some pretty extreme races. Living in Cincinnati, I know there's some hills there, but you don't really get like, you know, there's not really huge extremes. So it's interesting how that right. run commute is part of that. What other kind of training methods do you use for training for ultras or multi-day races? Hey, I just got to say, I've run the Flying Pig Marathon. Cincinnati's very hilly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we're going to be having the Flying Pig Marathon weekend. This weekend, yep. Oh, uh, wow. So it, it's normally the first weekend of May, uh, but we're super thrilled to be having it. And you know, it is being a part of a community is something special. So I, 
you know, I think about, oh, it would be really nice to live in, you know, some of these beautiful uh, places out west, maybe up in like Colorado or, or Montana or California and like some remote spots. And there would be something really special about that, no doubt. But also living in a city like Cincinnati, we have such a running community here. It really gives incredible power to training because you always have the opportunity to train with other people. And training with our people really helps to make you stronger. Like, I mean, it, it's something powerful to that. But I really love training for specializations uh, with races. And it depends whatever is happening is where I kind of tweak things. So, for example, with Badwater, that's one of the races I, I really love a lot. And uh, this year is my was my 10th year running the race. So I would train wearing like, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but like once or twice a week, I'll train wearing like, maybe six or seven shirts, sweatshirt, like gloves, uh, multiple layers of pants. And it's like in the summertime when it's like 90 degrees. So it's not something you you should do like uh, at all. It's very dangerous if you're not like conditioning yourself. So I wouldn't suggest anyone go out like, you know, start putting on eight layers of clothing in like 100 degrees. uh, But you just kind of build up. And uh, so finding whatever it is, the races and then simulating that race is really powerful. Uh, so with Biggs Backyard, that's the race I just did. It was a, the World Championship, and it's a, a race that was invented by Laz, who's uh, the kind of godfather of like extreme ultra races. This race has a 4.167 mile loop that you repeat. It, it comes out to be 100 miles every day. And you do 11 hours on the trail. And then it oscillates with uh, 13 hours on the road. So you continue the loops until last person standing. So uh, to prepare for that, I actually did a 24-hour race. And then I did a 100-mile trail race back-to-back within two weeks, uh, five weeks before this race. That was helpful to prepare myself for being very tired, to adjust for like the terrain. But uh, I changed my training a lot. But I also have very consistent standards that I keep, like the run commute. That's really powerful. I like to get out and run with other people, and especially my dog. <laughs> Probably his best exercise dog ever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carly is uh, lightning. She, her favorite thing in the world, even above food, is running. And if you run without her, she will be so mad when you get home. She bites your calf muscle. Yes. She's like, I know you ran without me. Yeah, she's like so mad. She'll wait right in the window, like, be like, oh, looking at you when you come back, like, oh, shameful. You have to go for another run just because. Right, right, right. So let's talk about Big's Backyard, which you were the last man standing this year, um, not that long ago at the time of this recording. Where's it at and what's the vibe that one gets when you're there? It's in uh, the real backwater of Tennessee. It's, it's east of uh, Nashville, about an hour, a ways away from a small town called Bellbuckle, Tennessee, actually on Laz, Laz's property. Hmm. And so this is actually uh, his, or it's actually his dog. His dog's name is Big. And, um, you know, like these dogs, these dogs are amazing. Bigs, he's got bigs and he's got little. And Laz <laughs> tells me, um, that the worst dogs are the best dogs and the best dogs are the worst dogs. It's the truth. You know, my dog is a rescue dog as well, Carly, and she is, fits that profile exactly. Mm. But, uh, it's on a, like a hilly property. 
this time of year, the, the leaves are starting to fall and it, uh, it can get kind of warm in the daytime, believe it or not. Uh, 70 degrees doesn't seem very warm, but once you've been out there for a couple of days, yeah. your body has a hard time adapting to like the heat differential. So you might get, there, there could be copperheads out there or rattlesnakes. Uh, and then it, you have like a country road uh, that you, you go out and back on at nighttime. And you may see like two or three cars a day or in, in the evening. I don't think I remember seeing any, to be honest with you. Huh. Uh, but uh, there's very little traffic. And for our race, we actually had uh, a near full moon. And the moon was just absolutely nice. brilliant. It was like a, a, a gorgeous orange color. And it lit up the entire area. I mean, there were shadows distinct shadows where there would be trees and when you're in the moonlight i mean i didn't even have a light like at nighttime i ran without a light and it was just a really uh magical scenery sounds like being out in nature is one of your favorite parts of being an ultra runner (laughs) absolutely without a doubt like um that is the uh apex of the experience for sure we saw like actually there were these amazing uh coyotes uh out there I know some people might be afraid of coyotes, but they don't really bother the humans at all. And uh, I've never heard the coyotes make so much noise, like just singing back and forth to each other. The the coyote noises were just absolutely (laughs) wild, like totally wild, beautiful. Now, everyone starts at the same time, like on the hour, right? Right. That's what makes it. My dad says uh, he doesn't really like watching ultras all that much uh, all the time, but he really likes this format because it's interesting that everyone starts the lap again at the same exact moment. So it's really suspenseful to know like anybody could be in their best game and anyone could be like at the point of just complete collapse. And you really don't (laughs) know because it's like a poker match. People don't want to show their cards. So, you know, you may have someone lining up that they think maybe they're only going to go one more lap or maybe they're dealing with something with their stomach, but you can't really entirely tell. So it's definitely a poker match and Mm. it's intriguing to see, you know, people line up lap after lap after lap. And then what is the strategy? I mean, what, what was your strategy going in to be able to win this thing? Well, the, the strategy is really uh, different by depending on who you ask. You know, I know like in Europe, I know like uh, some of the European runners, they like to run the laps rather quickly. They have the idea that they can like sleep more. Um, and so there's a thought like if you can bank more sleep, there's a benefit to that because when you get to like those later days, it's just exhausting, right? Like without, oh, yeah. without a lot of sleep. For me, I just like kept things fun. I I want to just um, enjoy myself and enjoy the other people that were out there. Like, it was really nice to meet the other runners. Some of them I know already, like Maggie and Courtney and, you know, Michael Wardian and David uh, Proctor. I know some of the runners already. So we were able to, like, catch up. Like, we we hadn't seen each other. And uh, not being so focused on, like, just like a tiger mentality, you know. Like, at first, you're just more interested in like just enjoying the atmosphere and the nature and things like that and then you just go along and you just adapt to each environment that comes your way so like in the daytime it gets hot so you want to adapt to like the heat and the nighttime you're, you're dealing sometimes with a little bit of like sleep deprivation so you just have to keep yourself moving but staying hydrated and continuously consuming calories is really important because uh, i talked to a cardiologist last night and she said well i think she may have estimated that i burnt like over forty-five thousand calories 
over the <laughs> some like that. Yeah, she was saying like per hour that you would be consuming uh, or burning like over, I think it was like 600 calories an hour or something. Mm. So you got to eat a lot of food. Otherwise, you're taking a deficit each hour. Yeah. And so how many hours can you do that for? Now, that's one of the things I say, like I eat plant based foods. And honestly, I see that as a, as a huge strength in these races uh, because I never have any digestion issues. I'm very rarely I have any digestion issues and I'm able to process foods really quickly. Uh, and also there's like an anti-inflammatory nature. So the guy who finished second was also plant-based, ironically enough. Cool. And uh, I saw some people that like they had like gone out in the first day or two. They had a lot of inflammation like in their ankles. And I didn't have any of that even after like 350 miles. So there is a, a power to in the anti-inflammatory like type foods and being able to eat a lot of calories consuming like I probably would estimate that I consume it might sound crazy but I did probably consume about 400 calories an hour in some some hours I might consume like 500 and some hours I might only consume like 250 but I consume a lot of calories was it a combination of like real foods and then some like packaged fueling products that you kind of just mix and matched yeah exactly I had a really amazing crew chief uh, and that's huge as well. Like you really want to have someone that you, you feel like you just have a blast with because they are your lifeline. Absolutely. You have to be able to trust them. And Judd would make up like some really nice meals. Maybe every two or three hours, he'd make up like vegan mac and cheese or some miso soup or some pasta, marinara sauce. But then every hour I could get like something like a, a squeezable fruit like I got right here. <laughs> Or like uh, some definitely chips. And I got like uh, dried fruit. I would put that like in my shorts and then eat it. Like if I was walking up a hill, like you don't want to choke on food and die. <laughs> so not suggesting anyone like eat and run like we're actually running. But when you're walking up a hill, usually it's okay to like munch on a little bit of stuff. But yeah, I would do like a combination of things that are like not the kind of stuff that you would say, oh, that's great. to Coca-Cola is the healthiest thing on the planet. Well, you know, drinking a Coca-Cola with 140 calories, it, it can be like, you know, really impactful, like in the mm. middle part of the day. It's like, it just feels rejuvenating. Plus the caffeine to kind of perk you up. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> that too. Yeah. So how long on average did it take you to finish one lap? Uh, yeah. So on the trail loop, it's always slower. Yeah. Uh, and I would say like, I was more laid back. Uh, like I know a lot of runners like to go a little faster on the trail portion, but I would finish, I think around maybe 53 minutes, give or take a, like a minute. And then on the road portion, I would finish maybe like around 48 minutes and give or take a minute. So the road's at night. So then you have like 10 extra minutes to sleep before you have to start again. Uh, well, when you finish in 48 minutes, it takes you 30 seconds to get over your tent. <laughs> like get, uh, get sit down. Honestly, I may have about, uh, I think I was getting about six minutes, something like that, because oh, you, you want to reset. You have to also like, imagine you have to drink and eat some calories. Like if you don't do that, you won't survive. Mm -hmm. So you got to consume li liquids and calories. And then I was constantly like, trying to like adjust to the temperature because at nighttime, it's kind of wild, but when it gets down to like 44 degrees, it's like your body after running 200 miles gets really chilled very fast. So imagine like when you finish a marathon and you're like 
you're coming off that high and then all of a sudden, like if you've been at enough marathons, you know what I'm saying? You know, eight or 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, all of a sudden you start getting like shaking. Yeah, it hits. What is going on here? <laughs> right. So that with that ultra, you have to really protect yourself. Like you have to adjust yourself. And once you get out in the middle of nowhere, there's no one to help you. Like there's nobody out on the nighttime loop. Like Laz doesn't station anyone out there. So you got 2.1 miles out and that's not that far, but it is after you run 200 miles. So <laughs> you get yourself out and get back and keep your body warm. So uh, yeah, it's like you're always trying to like adjust the, the right proper attire getting back out because things change so rapidly and, and laying down, you get cool. So it's always like adjusting the buff, the hats, whatever mm. it is. Quick break to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. You can get a blood test and a DNA test and using an algorithm, they'll provide a clear picture of what's going on. Not only can you get the data you need, knowledge is power, as they say, they will give you recommendations based on that data. And they're also very geared toward athletes. Yeah. What I love about Inside Tracker is that it's ultra personalized and they really lean into science-backed recommendations. Um, on my most recent Inside Tracker test, they do this thing called inner age. So they kind of look at all your results and tell you what your inner age is versus is, of course, your biological age. And so I was happy to see mine is 40.7, which is two years younger than my current age. That's good to know. <laughs> that is good. Uh, mostly my levels were optimized. However, one thing I do need to work on is my iron group. My ferritin levels and hemoglobin levels were a bit low. Um, so some ways I can do that include taking an iron supplement and eating more foods such as whole rolled oats, dark chocolate, wheat germs, soybeans, spinach, beans, and shellfish to help bring up my iron levels. So if it's been a while since you've had blood work done, check them out at insidetracker.com forward slash MTA and you'll get 25% off insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. And speaking of good health, thank you to our other sponsor, Athletic Greens. They make AG1. We swear by it. It's the ultimate supplement. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients all mixed into this tasty green drink. Someone was asking us on YouTube, we have a, a video about Athletic Greens, and they said, does it taste like grass? <laughs> I'm glad to say it is a green drink, but it does not taste like grass. That's right. Um, all of our kids take it. I take it every morning, and they also have these travel packs. It's super handy on the road. You can bring this one supplement to help optimize your energy and boost your immune system. You can actually get five of those free travel packs as well as a one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. So if you haven't tried it yet, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA, athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. Did you hit any really low spots um, during the race? I mean, you know, mentally get to a place where you just needed some encouragement and how did you handle that? Yeah, so honestly, around mile 170, uh, it was a second night, and I don't know what happened to me, but I just was really struggling on that nighttime loop. It's if you really think about it, it can be really hard. Like, so you don't mm. really want to think about it. But if you think about it, like, okay, I'm running out here this four mile loop, and I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna have to run out there again. And you know, you're like <laughs> you're tired, and you still don't really want to think beyond just that single loop. You got program your mind to only think and focus on one point at one time. If you start thinking like, oh, it's only like another eight hours until like the sun rises, like that will really mess with you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to think about that. <laughs> so I, I did have a rough period in my mind and I just came back to my tent. And of course, you don't want to say anything to anybody. and You don't want to like even admit it to yourself. 
Um, but I just mentioned to my crew chief, I just said quietly, I was like, you know, hey, because no one else around, I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm struggling. I just want you to know that right now. Uh, and then that's just a key to him because he's really connected to know, you know, okay, I got to think of what I want to say to Harvey. And he said, well, hey, just uh, imagine you're running to and from work. Oh. And I was like, man, I can't believe you came up with that. But honestly, it worked so damn well. And so like after that, I was like, yeah, this is run to work. That's no problem. I'm not programmed to do that. That's no problem. So it, was, it made it a lot more manageable. Those moments, they passed. But but you're at that point and you're like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, it'd be very nice. You could just go back to the hotel and you could talk to your fiance and you could like get in a hot bath and you could go, go lay down, put your feet up. You don't have to worry about this next whistle at last is going to blow, you know, but then there's another side of me that's like, you know, trying to overcast that and say, heck no, we are not going to stop. And that side always was winning out. But I, I heard this side, that inner you know, struggle we all have within ourselves hmm. with whatever that may be at times. And it really does help to have that person there, you know, like that could be if someone's getting ready for a marathon program or a half marathon program. And it's like having a training buddy, like that's huge. Or if you're going to do your first ultra, you don't necessarily have to have a crew for that at all. But to have someone uh, for your first 100 miler or your first ultra as, as a crew person like my friend Judd, it can really make an incredible, powerful impact. Someone who's positive, they can just say like a couple of simple words. Uh, have you guys ever crewed each other before? No, not really. I ran his first marathon with him, and he thought about locking himself in a porta pot to get away from me. So I don't think we would like be simpatico for that. <laughs> that is great, Kelly. My fiance, she says she don't want to prove me at all. So <laughs> it might be better for your relationship if you just like separate that part of your life. She can only do it like once every two years now because it's too exhausting. So she really appreciates my friend Judd or my other buddies that have crewed me in the past. So you were only getting like maybe an hour of sleep per night. Yeah, you could say maybe I was laying down for an hour uh, a day. Man. Yeah, you could say I was laying down. But like sleeping, I don't know if you could say, like I wasn't always sleeping. I'd just be laying right. there with my eyes shut. And I think I read that in past years, you just tried to do it without sleep. The first year I did this, I really didn't understand that concept. So uh, I went out in 2017 and a French runner and I, we were the last two. And uh, the first year we did this, like, it's kind of funny how this whole thing has evolved. Because if you saw what I brought to the first race, I just brought like a bunch of junk that wasn't organized. I had like a, a, <laughs> a normal camping tent. And I, I told my buddy Judd to come to that race. And he showed up at like 1 p.m. because he was coming from Virginia. So the race was already in progress. And, you know, we just kind of like built things on the fly. But this year, we were much more organized. We, we knew, like, we had more of a plan in place. And so it's amazing, like, in four years, it's become so much more competitive, too. The competition has just ex exploded. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the first year I ran it, I was just like, okay, I'll sit in my chair and I'll pretend like I'm sleeping once or twice a night for, like, five minutes and that's it. And I don't think I even did that. Like, I just like, oh, yeah, we're just ch chit-chatting, you know. So as we're talking, I see you gesturing and you've got some sort of like cast splint contraption on your right hand. Tell us about right. that. <laughs> yeah. So during the race, I actually broke my fourth metacarpal. Mm. Uh, and that was a first. I've never broke a bone running. But <laughs> hey, you know, I broke a couple of things during the race. A road record, my, my fourth metacarpal. <laughs> hey, who else? Yeah, it was worth it. Uh, yeah, honestly, um, it was a fourth day and it was 
getting pretty warm and I was dehydrated a bit. You're trying to like remember the uh, points that you utilize for pacing yourself on the course, like trees and things like that. And it's becoming more and more difficult to make it to those points in the time that you had initially allotted. And so I was really working the last few laps on the day course just to make it back with like four minutes or just a little bit of change to spare. And uh, so I, I, I was hustling and uh, I totally wiped out on these rocks and, it, and I was just without energy. So normally I do, I think the first day I fell down like three times. Oh, no. And I didn't fall down again. Like, you know, I fall down in areas that were like super smooth. There's nothing there. And I just like, what I fall on? You know, like when I crash on here, it, it would happen invariably. But uh, I literally fell on a really bad place to fall. And then when I went down, like I had zero energy. It was like trying to do a bench press and you just had or a push-up. You had nothing to give on the push-up. You were just mm. totally spent. And so I just went down entirely on the, the hand, like all the energy on that spot. And I knew like pretty much immediately that I did something to it. You know, I didn't think it was just bruised, but I didn't know what I did to it. But I knew that it wasn't like vital for running. Like, I mean, I just couldn't really hold anything. Mm -hmm. um, but so I just kept on going. I, my, so I had like uh, my spirit animal for the race was a honey badger. Ooh. And so the <laughs> honey badger, I don't know if you've ever seen the video. It's yeah. got like 4 million views. It's hilarious. So I was like channeling the honey badger. I was like, honey badger doesn't care. Honey badger falls down, breaks a bone. It doesn't matter. It just gets up and keeps right. on running. As a honey badger. <laughs> now, I can't beat a honey badger every race. That's for sure. But I can beat a honey badger once a year. <laughs> I like that. Picking a spirit animal for a race or event. thats I don't think we've ever had anyone mention that before. I do it every time for my biggest races, like in ultras. I do that. Hmm. So what were you for Badwater this year when you won? What was your animal then? Uh, well, I kind of like uh, had a couple animals for that one. I have like a Mongolian horse, <laughs> the Mongolian horse. Yeah, <laughs> because Mongolian horses, they just go all day long. They're not the fastest horse, but they just are relentless. They They're not show them. horses. They're just work horses. <laughs> They're just work horses. Yeah. So Mongolian horse. <laughs> and my Chinese Zodiac is a dragon. So I have like a dragon, the inner dragon that comes out. And uh, I try to keep the dragon caged up because it gets a little crazy. <laughs> you gotta save it till you really need it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta keep the dragon buried down deep. So at the backyard ultra, you talked about you know pushing through mentally when you hit a low spot. Any other like wall that you hit like physically after doing 100 or 200 miles where your body just says, "Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Go back to the chair, sit down." Well, you know it's kind of crazy, but honestly, uh, later in the race, uh, after we got to like 300 miles, we actually started getting kind of crazy. So if you look at my times, I think actually I got faster like the, after the second and third day. Wow. And uh, Mori, the uh, Japanese runner, and I, we started like doing like this kind of attacking the, uh, the course. <laughs> so we would just start like running really fast and start hmm. sprinting like up the hill. We start running up the hill. And we just start yelling, like, just like, it's <laughs> like kind of fun. You know, it's, I don't know. It just kind of struck us. We just got to this moment where we just felt this new energy and it was hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah. So that was kind of cool because I felt the highest highs, like in those, in the fourth day. Wow. And uh, like, even though you know, I broke my hand <laughs> and we probably could have run more strategically and run a little more calm, 
that would probably be a little smart smart move to do. <laughs> but instead of doing that, we just were like running like nuts, like just oh. going super fast at times. And I think the other uh, guy, Chris Roberts, he was like probably sitting back thinking, man, these guys are going to kill themselves. So I'm just going, go get it, guys. Go get it. Go flame out. But, and then I'll <laughs> you know, go flame out. Go flame out. I'm not suggesting that's the best strategy, but uh, it's kind of wild how the human body can be like you, you can like hit like new uh, energy sources. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, because you talked about it, mile 170 or whatever, hitting that real low. And if you'd given up at that point, you wouldn't have known what you had in the tank still like over 300 miles. It's, it is wild. It's going to make it very difficult to, to beat everyone next time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh. Everyone's going to yeah. know all your secrets. <laughs> uh, no, that's right. I got to keep a few stored back. Keep some close to the vest. <laughs> right. So what was it like to win? Do you just, you show up to the start line and then you look around and there's nobody there and you, you're declared the winner or do you actually have to run the lap? It depends on like the circumstances. You have to run like one additional lap. Okay. Um, so I, I didn't know that uh, Chris had like pulled back and gone back. So I didn't know that that was my last lap until like really about the maybe two thirds through. I kind of maybe suspected because I didn't see him, but you're, you've run so many miles. You are a little bit delirious. You're not hundred percent sure. <laughs> like it, that's confirmed. It was absolutely, uh, it was a really special experience. Like just, hmm. Having a dream like that and knowing how difficult it was and knowing how many people really did amazing races, you know, to to survive. And then, uh, you know, I couldn't have gotten there without all the runners. Like, I mean, the fact that so many runners made it to the one day, so many runners made it to the second day and then three runners made it to the third day. That's what really helped me mm. to be able to make it to where I did. So it's a, it was just you feel attached to those people. Mm hmm. And you did how many miles in how many hours exactly? Like 359 point something? Uh, so it's 354.167 uh, miles uh, in 85 hours. Wow. I mean, you're exhausted. What does the rest of that day look like? Do you like immediately go to sleep? Um, I mean, do you sleep for like 24 hours? Like how does your body bounce back from something like that? I think I finished and I looked around and I think everyone was pretty exhausted. <laughs> I, I really didn't want the moment to end. Like it was really a special experience. And so I was really just uh, kind of charged on being like, wow, this is just so incredible. It actually happened. And this is like Badwater this year. Like Badwater, that was a, a total dream of mine to win Badwater and then to have that happen. Mm. And then to come in, like both of the big things I had dreamed for this year came to fruition was just out, outrageous. Mm. Uh, so I was like, just kind of pinching myself, make sure I'm like, really, is it a, a really happening? It's a hallucination. <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing. Uh, and I just wanted to like, just hold on to that moment. So I wasn't trying to go anywhere. Uh, and then uh, after we you know, chatted for a while, there was a mention like, would well, you want to go to a hotel or something? I was like, no, I don't want to go to a hotel. I'm just going to go over to my tent right over here and go lay down. So I just went over my tent. Like by that point, you know, we have pretty much moved into, I, that was my point all along is to move down there. So I became a temporary Tennessee resident. <laughs> and uh, that, that was the whole intention uh, all along with the races, stay the longest. Hmm. And you know, that's pretty much what we did. And the tent we had was really nice. Like we had a little heater, a little tiny heater. And I had a cot. Uh, so I just laid down and fell asleep. And I woke up at like 3 a.m. <laughs> And I was, again, I was like super charged about 
experience. I want to like message family and friends, my fiance, and just say, you know, how excited, like thank all was for all their help. And everyone's like positive words throughout the whole thing. And then I went back to bed. I woke up again, I think like around eight or so. And I was just like eating everything. <laughs> so that's all. And how good does that first shower feel after all that time of being sweaty? <laughs> so it's funny. I didn't get a shower until like 10 a.m. And uh, it was actually one of those little camping showers. But yeah, so we didn't actually leave Laz's property until like two o'clock that next afternoon. And then I finally got back to Cincinnati and um, about 11 o'clock at night. And so I actually went out and ran a mile to keep my run streak. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> then on, on the way to Cincinnati, I talked to my student teacher and his uh, fiance is an ER doctor. So that was nice. I messaged with her and she suggests I go to, to uh, University Hospital. So after the mile run, I went to the University Hospital. And I uh, got my hand checked out and saw it was broken. And then the next morning I ran to work and uh, went to work. So wow. a few hours later. <laughs> ran to work the next day. That's yeah, incredible. ran to work the next day. Does it feel like you still haven't found your limits? I mean, you've done just incredibly hard stuff in your running that most people can never fathom. But uh, what does it feel like? You still wonder, like, maybe I can go 500 miles without sleeping. Right, right. <laughs> Well, I think uh, like there's two sides of me. One side is like I want to protect myself because I, I really love running and I've been running like ultras for 25 years now. And I feel like the top of my running career period right now and I can, mm -hmm. st can still like grow, but I don't want to like injure myself. I want to be able to continuously run like um, 99, like my friend Mike Fremont. So I've got that angle. And I know like, you know, uh, running 354 miles, it, it puts a lot of pressure on your body. So I wouldn't want to do that like once a month. Like it, it just puts a lot of pressure on your body. And mm -hmm. I mean, so then on the other side, I'm like, yeah, I, like the run home tonight, I was thinking, you know, I'm really kind of curious about doing this six day race, you know, mm. and there's possibility to, to go further than we did at Biggs Backyard. Biggs is kind of like a technical course. So it's actually a more difficult course than some of the courses that are out there. Yeah, so both sides, definitely I, I would like to and I want to and I plan to. But on the other hand, I want to make sure I do it the right way and I don't destroy my body. Yeah, that's like, smart. So that I can't like do it long term. Yeah. yeah. How many miles are you up to this year? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I probably average like about. Uh, I'll probably be at like 5,000 miles or wow. something for <laughs> like total, like yes. once I finish a year, not at this moment. That's awesome. So you're going to do Barkley next year. Do you have any other races in the works that you're looking forward to? Yeah, de well, definitely Barkley is like the, the big one. Cause I have to, so, someone said it's not my wheelhouse and, and that's a perfect, like that's perfect. They, Saying something like that to me is like the worst thing to ever say of you. <laughs> you need to pick an animal with really good direction for that one because you're spirit animal. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have to develop another spirit animal like the coyote, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like it's scrappy, but I have to work, work on my navigation. Like there's no doubt about it. And like that, that race has some really intriguing elements that I have really zero experience or very limited experience on, but I'm definitely going back to Badwater again. I love that race. And uh, eventually, I would like to run another, go for my personal best in a marathon. So my personal best right now is two hours and 45 minutes and uh, 58 seconds. But I kind of love the idea that it's, it's still possible, even after running the marathon for 30 years, hmm. to run a faster time. Yeah, it is amazing. And like, 
that would be wild. Yeah. And it's not not easy. That would be really hard to do for me. But it would be so wild to pull that off. Yeah. And uh, so if I could pull that off, like somehow, wow, that would just blow my mind. How fast was your very first one as a teenager? Oh, it was uh, like five hours and five minutes or something like that. You can probably yeah, beat that. Me, <laughs> yeah, I think I'd probably get all right. It took me about five years to break five hours in the marathon. And wow. so I've just been, uh, I think it took me 17 years to qualify for Boston. It took me a long time, like just chipping away, like gradually. So it's kind of wild. People would not believe that you could possibly go from that level to just continuously getting faster and faster every year. It's so much as like the nutrition. Like in, and also the technique. I'm glad you said that. I think that can give a lot of people hope who are listening because we have people who might be listening and they think, man, I can never be as talented as Harvey. Uh, but you said you, it took you five years just to break five hours in the marathon. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. wild. And then you were young then, younger, and, you know, not yes. saying that we're old or anything, but and, younger. <laughs> right, right. I was young, 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 young. And you say you're at the peak of your, your career now. I don't think anybody would, would argue. You've had a banner year. And how old are you now? Just let folks know. Yeah, I'm 45. So I'm just getting started. There you go. Yeah, uh, my, my friend, Marco Omo, he's another plant-based runner. You know, he, he won the UTMB when he was 58. Wow. Yeah, at 58. How long have you been plant-based? I've been vegetarian for 25 years. Actually, I like kind of discovered it the same year I discovered ultras. Mm -hmm. And I've been plant-based for five years. I've been totally vegan for five years. Those have been my strongest years of my running. Uh, I did uh, my furthest 24-hour race in 2019. I ran 160.609 miles in the world championship in France. Hmm. And uh, that's another one of my goals. Like uh, my first 24 hour race, I ran 81.25 miles. So I would like to, before things are all said and done, double my original distance in the 24 hour race. And also, I'm very curious about a lot of these um, trail races. Like uh, I'd like to get into the UTMB race as well down the road eventually. And uh, maybe like some other trail races out west too. What about you both? Would you have like a, a particular race you would like to do in 2022 or the year ahead? You mentioned UTMB, the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> there is the Marathon du Mont Blanc that I just got word yesterday that I have an entry into that. So I'm looking forward to running in the French Alps uh, and maybe do a couple other marathons next year, but that one for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on rehabbing my hamstring right now, but I do hope I'll be able to run Boston in the spring. Um, and then if we're in Europe next summer, hopefully at least one marathon in Europe somewhere. So we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> That would be beautiful. Yeah. So you said you take runners to Portugal. Yes. You guys do a marathon over there? We uh, have done different races. I partner up with Carlos Saw. He's a, a very well-known ultra runner and race organizer in Europe. And uh, he has a trail marathon cool. um, that we should be doing in June, then half marathon or 10K uh, or like a, a shorter distance. Neat. So if people are interested in your tour groups, how can they get a hold of you and, and contact you for that? There's a website. It's called runquesttravel.com. Unfortunately, they're probably all sold out, like because you know everything has been backlogged because of COVID. COVID, we couldn't go in 2020. But I definitely encourage people to check it out because it's something really special, and the trips are very affordable for like the quality of service 
in the locations we stay in, the food, everything is very catered to each individual person. Runquesttravel.com. Yeah, I'd love to have you both come one of these years. Never been to Portugal. I would love to oh, go. It's a very romantic place. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been great speaking to you, Harvey. Thank you for all the inspiration and uh, stories. Keep up the great work. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you down the road somewhere and catch up with your further adventures. <laughs> hey, thank you both. You guys are great. And uh, it's been so much fun. Thanks, Trevor Angie. All right. Big thanks to Harvey Lewis for joining us on the podcast. I think one secret, he's such a positive and upbeat guy. That might be a secret to running as far as he does. Yeah, you have to have a really tough mindset, obviously, to be able to go distances like that. But you can tell that he just brings that enthusiasm and that loving nature to everything he does. Yeah, because if you didn't enjoy it, then it just makes it even that much harder. So maybe part of having a tough mindset is just his ability to flip things to not dwell on negatives, but just to, to be in the moment and enjoy the journey. That's right. And he also talked about spirit animals. That's a new one. Uh, I don't know if that's been talked about on our podcast before. Angie, you do have this like nice new tattoo on your left arm of an animal. Is it your spirit animal? Yes, it is. <laughs> Angie has a kitten. No, that's your tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a tattoo yet. My spirit animal's a sloth. <laughs> Yes, I have an owl on my left inner arm. It's a beautiful owl. It is a beautiful owl. I get lots of compliments on it. How can you channel that when you run? Well, I think with the owl, it's all about having the big picture and being very clear-sighted, having your senses open to the world around you. And so I think in long-distance running, you do have to look at the big picture and you can't get caught up in the little aches and pains and the things that can tend to discourage you if you are focused on a negative mindset. And also owls are a bit scary. Yeah, they are definitely <laughs> can swoop down and... They're intense. <laughs> they're predators. <laughs> that's you, Angie, just a little bit intense. <laughs> Give me that look. Well, that's it for this episode. As always, you can find more on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. We have all kinds of stuff going on, virtual challenges, training plans, coaching, academy membership where we take you through the A to Z of training. And if you want to get more podcast episodes, just subscribe wherever you get your podcast and boom, those episodes will appear. And we always keep 50 of our most recent shows in the feed. So you got listening for days. And if we can help you in any way, reach out. We have a contact form on our website. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, be safe out there, and remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Well on my way, well on my way.